0: football is about the jimmies and joes and x's and o's
1: oh, Check new york bozo new york bozo 28 Baker bruce
0: <laughs> it's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays here's where it all starts right here let's play gee money christmas what the hell's going on out here this is inside football with former colts and nfl coach rick venturi the Colts are 2-1, and, and after two weeks on the road, they return home this weekend, Lucas Oil Stadium, to face off against their first NFC opponent of the season. Up next, the L.A. Rams, as the first-place Colts look for their first three-game winning streak since 2021. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining in here on another installment of Inside Football with Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. Joined today, as always, with Rick who has three decades of football knowledge on NFL sidelines? And today we're opening up that noggin to recap week three and preview game four with the Rams RV. Welcome back. How you doing today?
1: Man, I'm doing really good. I'll tell you those Wednesdays in preparation for our podcast are so much better after a win. I just can't I just can't believe the difference and particularly, that, particularly the way we got that one Sunday.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. So a lot to get into. We'll get into the big picture and the blueprints on the Rams coming up in just a second. But let's talk about Sunday's game one more time because it was that good as the Colts pulled it out in overtime. And, Rick, it was so fun to see the Colts pull that game out because that's the type of the game, or type of game, I should say, as we talked about. That's the type of game this franchise has come up short in For the last couple of years, right, those one-score games in the fourth quarter, the Colts got the job done, and when the game was on the line, it was great to see the Colts and their best players making more plays uh, against a really good team on their home turf.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It is, I think, one of the great victories uh, because of the way it was played, uh, because of the way that we rallied and we played in crunch time. You know, that has been a bit of an Achilles heel uh you know we've been harping on it for a long long time uh we weren't able to finish games last year on either side of the ball uh you know it's cost us over the years and even in the Manning area you know all the great wins most of them were high scoring affairs you know this was one that really was determined in a 13 yard field for the last you know for the last several minutes of regular of the regular seat of the regular regulation and then the overtime, I mean, it was a war over 13 yards. Whichever team could get the ball to the 40-yard line, you know, to kick a field goal was going to win it. Um, it was just it was just great. And, you know, I thought, you know, hats off to our coaching staff. I, I think Shane on offense, you know, and, and Bradley on defense, I thought, you know, this was their finest hour to date. Um, you know, I think Shane did, again, a really good job. Um, you know, adjusting to his quarterback. Uh, You know, we had trouble in the first half. We had all kinds of blitz issues, but he overcame it with quick rhythm passing. You know, he hung in there. And and I think to Gardner's, um, you know, to his credit, he never gave in. He never, ever gave up a turnover. And it was one of those games where one turnover would have meant the difference. You know, so kudos to him. But I think what really – I thought the defense was spectacular – I mean, we played, you know, 25 minutes and only gave up three points. And that ball was at midfield, it seemed like, the entire 25 minutes. And where any any first down, any two first downs, and the game was over. And what I saw was a real expansion of the defense. I've seen it two weeks in a row, um, you know, basically when it comes to the pressure part of it. You know, our defensive line did dominate, in my opinion, but Gus also brought tons of pressure, you know, and at crunch time in the overtime, I mean, he was bringing zero blitzes like they were just going out of style. I haven't seen that many zero blitzes since the 80s, but it was fun to watch. Uh, We really got after him. A lot of guys played well. There's so many heroes, Mm -hmm. you know, I could keep pointing out guys, I think a couple of the under-the-radar guys that really came to play. I think the guy that has really impressed me since the regular season has started is Ebukon. I mean, he came off that edge like a rocket, like something we've been looking for at that Leo position. And that original sack, you know, that kind of started out. He did it a week ago. Um, all of a sudden, you felt that impact. You know, Brian is kind of a kind of an under the radar guy. He got his second sack, you know, in a, in a strip in that regard. Um, and you know, I think you know Juju comes in there almost like a surprise, you know, and has a big strip, which could have really affected the game when he did it. And it had a good day in coverage. You know, our linebacker speed makes two really good plays. The third and one tackle for loss and then he makes the great play on fourth and three. Uh, you know, and then of course Franklin's just a tackling machine. I could keep going on and on, but I just want to kind of mention those guys that are under the radar guys that, you know, Chris, you know, inked in there and a lot of people didn't realize what they were doing, but they, they played good and in a sense the defense finally exercised that demon of crunch time defense and they did it under pressure. So, you know, kudos to them, our special teams, what can you say? Right. What can you say about Gay? You know the, the you know the the five field goals and the four beyond the 50. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, we really only scored seven points with the offense, but we, you know, we managed to get 22 because we're kicking 50-yard field goals. So, you know, and and you know, I thought McKenzie with the exception of pri- probably he should have fair caught that last one. But he got us a lot of daylight. Um, and so, I, you know, I like that part of it. So, defense, special teams, spectacular. And I thought our offense did enough. They just did enough. And number one, it's what they didn't do. They didn't turn over the ball under duress. Mm-hmm. You know, they struggle with not the offensive line didn't struggle, but we struggled as a team with blitz pickup. And that's got to change. But we got some big plays. You know, when you're going to win a game like this, you're going to win it because your lines dominate them, which they did. And then your skill players have to make plays. You know, Pittman's catch, you know, is certainly the great catch of his career on one of the best I've ever seen and was a difference maker because it got the ball back to midfield, got it back to a 13-yard gain. Moss, you can't say enough about him. I mean, 122 yards, hard-fought 122 you know, the 13-yard gain to get us in position to the for the win, the 17-yard catch. You know, he's another guy, kind of an under-the-radar trade, that is really, really paying off. So, you know, we get big plays out of those two guys. I thought our left side was spectacular. Uh, Ryman and Nelson, I thought that they really and truly helped to really dig it out and dominate on that left side. You know, and then, of course, Minshew, you know, certainly has been worth everything that, you know, we gave him in the last two weeks. Again, played really good, very efficient. <laughs> I always use this number. His his touchdown to interception ratio is now up to 46 to 15. So this guy is not chopped liver. I'll tell you that right now. So, again, just as you said, as you introduced it, mm-hmm. you know, it was a gritty and successful win. And I, I think in that sense, and the way it was done, it is one of the great victories uh, in, in Colt history.
0: All right, certainly an exciting game in week number three. The Colts are 2-1, and one, as we said, in first place, looking for their first three-game winning streak since 2021. And that's uh, with us right there. That's us turning the chapter on to week number four, getting ready for the Rams who come to Lucas Oil Stadium for the second time in the last three years. Now, Rick, they played on Monday Night Football, so a mm-hmm. short week for them. They fell to the Cincinnati Bengals. Now they've got to fly to Indianapolis this weekend, which means they're going to travel about 5,600 air miles in a six-day period leading into the game. Uh, They've lost two games in a row. They're 1-2 and on the season. They're in third place in their division. That's the NFC West. They're guided by Sean McVay. This is crazy to me. He's in his seventh year as the head coach of the Rams, and he's still the youngest head coach in the NFL. And he's taken the Rams to two Super Bowls. He's 1-1. The quarterback is the 35-year-old Matthew Stafford, leading a bunch of young guns with the Rams. Uh, The Rams have the second youngest roster in the NFL, including 15 rookies. And that offense out there, it's known for the aerial attack. They finished top five in passing in three of the last five years. So far this season, they rank fourth through three games in passing. The defense, it still runs through Aaron Donald at defensive tackles. They rank top ten in total yards, passing yards, and they are a good third down defense so far this season as well. So, Rick, that's the big picture That's the big outlook view on the Rams. What else do we need to know about them as you kind of fill in the gaps on L.A. coming to town in week four?
1: Yeah, and you know I always like to do this. When we're playing somebody that we may end up being the favorite on, uh, a team that doesn't have a good record, what I always try to warn everybody on what they can be, you know, this is a team that went out and beat a very good Seattle team in Seattle, which if you've ever done that, that's very hard to do. You know, they lost by seven, real tight game to a juggernaut in the 49ers, and then lost at Cincinnati by three. You know, the one thing, the one stat I will tell you, if you think that you've got it made, is they are a top-ten team in terms of nine on total offense, seven on total defense. Now, they've got some issues and holes that I'm going to point out, and I think a lot of them were exposed the other night, particularly offensively. At Cincinnati, but again, you've got a team that's beat the Seahawks uh, at Seattle. They're a top 10 team, both offense and defense, in terms of total offense. You mentioned it. Uh, you know, I, I am shocked that they didn't stay here, you know, and practiced here in a short week uh, between Cincinnati and Indianapolis. I'm glad that they had to do all that travel. That eventually will wear you out. I know that for a fact. Um, you know, they are led by a guy that I know very well. I spent a whole year with him in John Gruden's camp back in 2009 when we put together that organization, and that's Sean McVay. You know, everybody everybody is chasing when he got the job at 31. You know, ever since then, everybody, when they hire a coach, they're trying to find that next McVay, and he is a, a football savant. He's an offensive savant, and they are very good on defense the other way. In terms of of strategy, uh, Raheem Morris, also who I've known since he was a kid, is you know one of the charismatic, creative, uh, aggressive, defensive coordinators in the league. So they're going to come in here very, very well coached. Um, you know, on the big picture, on the off offensive side of it, they're obviously Matt Stafford driven. Matt is a guy that you know has tremendous numbers. Uh, almost almost, uh, 53,000 yards uh, passing in his career. You know, he's a lifer at 63% and 335 touchdowns. You know, and I will say this, I'm always going to interject this when you play Stafford. No matter what has happened before or in the game, remember Matt Stafford holds the record for the most comebacks in a season. I forget what season it was, but he had eight of them. So no matter what's going on in the game, he's going to play at 60 minutes, and you're never going to be able to relax. Now, he got the heck knocked out of him last week because the supporting cast around him wasn't very, very good. Uh, They've got a couple receivers that are dangerous um, uh, tutu and, and puka. It sounds like a Hawaiian cocktail. But, uh, they have they have two young kids that are stepping up with the absence of cup. Uh, Nakua is almost a cup clone. I mean, he's you know he's a four five seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a fifth round draft choice. You know, and and really cup wasn't that highly regarded coming out, but he's ve- he's just like him. He plays faster than that. You know, he's already got thirty catches. But I think the interesting thing about him, he also has 120 yards of yak. So he's been pretty dangerous with the ball in hand. He's the do everything guy for them now. He's using him like he uses Cup. He's basically an outside guy, but he runs a million of in routes. Um, you know, they'll run him on drag routes to try to catch and run. They're not afraid to run deep with him, although that's not really his thing. But he is really very much like Cup. He's probably the surprise player in the National Football League. And then. You know, Tutu Atwell is out at Louisville. I think we our fans are probably more familiar with him. He's small, but he is quick as all get out. He was he he ran like a four oh nine short shuttle coming out. He ran a four three nine forty. So he's not only quick, but he's really fast. He's a guy that it, really they play more as a slot because of his size, but he's a guy that can get down deep on you and he's really dangerous on wheel routes. And he's really dangerous on gadget play. So they've got a couple guys there and I think if you throw Higby in there, who's a very athletic, kind of a poor man's Kelsey at six seven, I mean you got a big, big target. So they'll still have three guys there. You know, Wilson Williams is a functional running back. I think they're really struggling with the running game. You know, it's not it it, it hasn't been really very, very good. Um, in that regard and then their offensive line really has struggled as the weeks have gone on you know uh, if if you look at them in general uh, one they haven't run the ball I think they're 28th in yards per and they haven't stopped the run I think they're 24th in yards per Um, they don't protect the passer as as was evidenced last week with six sacks and they really don't with the exception of Donald they really don't knock the quarterback down and then their turnover ratio is down. So those are the reasons that they're really one and two. Now mm-hmm. on the defensive end of it, again, they're creative, they're really sharp, they have some complexities, and Raheem always has them playing hard. But the problem is they're not real talented. Again, the as as the offensive goes with Stafford, the defensive go the defense goes with Aaron Donald. And he's a guy that basically is a three technique disruptor but they will move him around you know on third down they'll get into a three man line and he may be on the edge or he might be on the nose um they'll sometimes put him on the edge and put three guys overloaded away try to get you to slide over there and then go one on one with him one thing we just cannot do we cannot let you know we can we cannot let Donald uh disrupt this game he can't be the guy uh that beats us he he just really can't, so you know I think in that regard, you know that going in uh I'll talk about when we get into the must i'll I'll talk about schematically what they are you know they're you know they're basically a you know you know they'll give you different looks, they'll give you an over with four men down, they'll give you a bear uh with five men down, they'll give you a three man look sometimes on third down. So there's there's a lot to digest in there, but at the end of the day, the one guy that can really beat you, and they've got a couple young kids to go with them, Young and Turner, but he is the guy, and he's a swimmer. He's a jet type player. He's not Aaron Donald's not really a power player. That's why sometimes I don't mind running at him, if you power him, and if you if you run away from him you've got to make sure you pinch down mm-hmm. because he'll be up in your backfield so I mean I think that's the key you know at the end of the day uh, you've got to stop Stafford for 60 minutes and you gotta and you can't let Donald ruin the game
0: now you mentioned Matthew Stafford in those those come from behind wins and never being out of the game Matthew Stafford has 34 fourth quarter comeback wins and he has 42 game winning drives. He had eight of both of those in 2016. I think that was the season that you were alluding yeah. to. And he ranks fifth all-time. Matthew Stafford ranks fifth all-time in fourth-quarter comebacks. So definitely you know, something to be aware of as every game in the NFL comes down to the wire – a player like that that's been in the NFL for so long, never out of it. All right, let's break out the blueprints. This is the best part of the podcast. Let's uh, get to the ways the Colts can win, and let's start with the Rams on offense. You mentioned Matthew Stafford still being one of the best uh, traditional quarterbacks in the NFL earlier this season. In fact, he passed Peyton Manning for the most passing yards by a player in his first two hundred regular season games. He ranks 11th all time in passing and passing touchdowns. And his top target this season, rookie Puka Nakua, a fifth round draft pick out of BYU. He already has thirty catches for over three hundred and thirty yards and so far this year, He ranks fourth in the NFL on receiving yards, second in receptions, and seventh in yards after the catch. Top running back is Kyron Williams. In year two out of Notre Dame, he can run and catch it. And then at tight end, don't sleep on Tyler Higbee, who uh, last season broke the Rams' single-season franchise record for catches by a tight end with 72 of them. And as we said, the uh, bread and butter for Los Angeles, that's the passing game on offense, more so than the running game. They're fourth in passing, 26th in rushing. And, Rick, they average nearly 290 passing yards per game. They've already wrecked up 12 passing plays over 20 yards. So it's going to be a really good test for the Colts secondary coming up on Sunday. So what else stands out to you about the Rams on offense heading into this game on Sunday and your musts?
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, the fans have to expect this. First of all, know what Sean McVay is and what his background is. Sean McVay offensively and strategically is a combination of John Gruden and 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 Shanahan. Those are the two guys that he basically, uh, you know, played, coached under, and he's influenced. You see the Shanahan influence on the zone runs and particularly the play actions. They run a lot of boots like Shanahan's teams does. Stafford, even though he's older, is still a pretty good athlete. He can get on the edge, and he can move the chains on a scramble. He's, you know, He's not going to run 70 yards, but he's a guy that is still mobile, even though at that age. Now, where the Gruden influence is there, and the thing that bothers me, not bothers me, but as a defensive coordinator, I've got to be ready for it, is the West Coast principle, the quick rhythm stuff but more importantly formations he is going to stack you he did it with cup all the time and now he's doing it uh with puka you know they'll get in those stacks double stacks they'll get into bunches what we call coveys. they have smart motions so you very seldom can get your hands cup if, if if i'm just like cup puka if he was just stationary you could press him with that lack of speed But what they do a good job of, they never let you get your hands on him because he's always coming out of a stack or he's coming out of a bunch. So you've got to be really, really ready, you know, to handle all that stuff and then be alert for what I always call the Bill Walsh principle of offense going way back. And Walsh's theory was always compress the formation. In other words, they'll come out and it'll be a very tight two-by-two. And the next thing you know, they're expanding deep to the corner to the out, I mean, all of a sudden it's it's condensed and then expand and fly. And so all those things, again, will be there. Again, first down, a lot of running game and a lot of play pass, either bootlegs with crosses or Stafford loves to go with a little half boot. And then he wants to push the ball deep and across, usually across the formation. And if it's not there, he'll check it down on first down. Second down, they're going to come back, and they're going to go quick rhythm passing and a lot of balls to Atwell in that situation. A lot of, like, they use him like we use downs, a lot of quick stuff. Nakua also to get back in there. And then third down, they're going to play it by the sticks. That is, if it's third and short, they're going to run a lot of crossing, a lot of quick options, and and basically things like that. Uh, you know to to go do it. I, I think when you look at this team from a blueprint standpoint, our defense number one has to totally eliminate the run. They don't run it very well, 28th in rush per. But you have to be disciplined on the edges for the gadgets. Atwell took off and really, you know, he he stepped out of bounds. You saw it Monday night, but really he was close to a touchdown. He can get on that edge so fast with that four three nine speed. And Williams will slash it. But we can't allow them to have any run. They'd like to run behind their left side. Avala, the rookie who's a road grader at left guard. And Jackson, if he's healthy, they'd like to push it left. And they want to run the zones, the seals, the counters. But what they they know they can't do, they can't be in a lot of second and long because their pass protection will kill them. So, you know, they're going to try to run it. And, you know, we did it last week. Uh, We bottled up Jackson. Jackson got yards statistically, but he never broke the game open. He never was able to do that. And this is another game where we absolutely have to dominate their offensive line with our defensive line, and we're capable of doing that if we have our A game. And if you create the second and long and the third and long, They're in big trouble up front. Uh, I think you have to pressure the edge some because a lot of their play action comes to the edge, uh, either the boots or the half-roll boots. And as I said, Stafford is a little bit more athletic than you think, and he's looking for the chunk plays there. He's looking for Atwell over the middle at 20. He's looking for Puka. You know, on the deep go, he's looking for those. Now, if it's not there, you know, he's he's going to dump it off to Williams. But in that respect, they're looking for chunks. And I think early pressure, if you can take that away and condense it, will choke some of that off. I think, number three, you really have to choke off those two receivers. And the tight end is pretty good. They like to isolate him. Don't get me wrong. They'll get him on our week. They'll, they'll get him split out uh that is Higby on the weak side away from three wides and work on him isolation but you got to take going into the game you got Puka with 30 and you and you've got Atwell with 17 plus you got him with um you know with several yards rushing and again you I think if you can possibly you want to defend Puka as quick as you can on the line of scrimmage even if it's a even if it's a bunch you got to be able to sort it you got to get your hands on him He's another guy that you want to stuff. You want to take advantage that he doesn't have the speed, so you got to close down on him. If you let him just get free access all day, he'll kill you in that second level in those curls and those in that kind of the West Coast version. And then Atwell, you got to be really careful with him inside. He's a guy that, you know, on third down you may want to double. You want to make sure if he goes to the flat you stay high because he can turn that wheel into a big big play. So at the end of the day, you have to choke off Atwell uh, Atwell and Nakua. Okay, number four, got to beat them up front. I mean, their offensive line was horrific last week. You know, they lost Jackson. They put Thomas in there. He couldn't block anyone at left tackle. They had six sacks. You know, they ended up one for four uh, in the red zone, one for 11 on third down. And Matt now, mainly because of pressure, has two touchdowns and four interceptions on the ratio standpoint. So a lot of this is overmatched. If you get them into a passing game, I think their line is slow. Avila at left guard, Nota Boom at right guard, I don't think they can handle movement. Left tackle struggles. If you get them at disadvantage, I call it a take-a-number team, is that this is one of those games where my defensive guys would be into me on Tuesday and say, Coach, you know, I'd like to play in there on third down. I'd like to, I'd like to have a shot at that. And I think it's really important that Gus just keeps bringing it, just keeps bringing it. And then number five, you got to stay, you got to play to the end. You've already chronicled the team stuff, Stafford for 60 minutes. He is a numbers to numbers thrower. Okay, that's where he makes his living, his whole career. Pack the coverages in. Make him win on the outside of the field. Right now, he's under fire because the running game is not there and the protection is not there when they get behind. Now, the one thing about Stafford, and it's good news, bad news for the Rams, the good news is he's a tremendous competitor, and you know that over the years. And he has a gun, and he can throw off-platform. He can. But the thing about it is with this team right now, He will try to make a play regardless, and he will try to stick it in there sometimes where you just can't stick it in there. So, you know, you've seen the four turnovers already. I think we can force turnovers on this guy and make plays. They've struggled in the red zone. Again, they had a really bad, bad game last week offensively. They just couldn't get anything going, couldn't punch it in in the red zone. But I think those five guys eliminate the run, pressure the edges, take away those two wideouts, kill them up front, and then in the end stop Stafford for 60 minutes. And that w- that's the blueprint uh, for our defense.
0: There you go, Rick Venturi right there. This is inside football. That's the blueprint on offense. Let's switch over to the Rams now on defense going into game number four. And that unit, as you know, Rick, it's guided by Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator. Uh, He received a lot of love or a lot of attention, if you will, for head coaching opportunities in the offseason. And his third year with the Rams, and he and Sean McVay were together in Tampa Bay in 2008 and also in Washington from 2012 to 2014. And it all starts up front with L.A. Aaron Donald. He might be the best defensive tackle to ever play the game. He and Lawrence Taylor are the only players to be named defensive rookie of the year, defensive player of the year multiple times, first team all pro five times, and to also win a Super Bowl. He's got 104 career sacks. That ranks sixth among active players. He's the Rams all-time sack leader. He has 160 tackles for loss since 2014. That's the most in the NFL in that span definitely have to know where he is as they line him up in various roles along that defensive line. Behind him they've got Ernest Jones at linebacker he's their leading tackler and then the secondary they've got uh, Akello Witherspoon. He recorded a pick last week in Cincinnati and also of note uh, they have Russ Yeast who played part of his high school football at Center Grove just south of Indianapolis so a little bit of a local note there so they're not flashy on defense but they're tough to move the ball on as I said giving up only 20 points per game on average they rank top seven in passing. They rank top seven in total yards as well. So, Rick, for you, as you study the tape here, how high are you on this Rams defense going into this game?
1: Well, I think the, the Rams defense has played extremely well against good people. Um, and I think in that sense, in many ways, they overachieve. And you hear me say this a lot. I think their hole is greater than the parts. I, I think part of that is a credit to the defensive coordinator, Raheem, as you said, Raheem Morris, and of course the game changing defensive lineman in Aaron you talked all about it you know the 104 and a half sacks the tackles for losses also 24 forced fumbles i mean this guy is really really special and we simply cannot cannot okay let him ruin the game and they're going to they're going to move him around different spots they're going to twist he does a good job with the rookie turner they do a really good job of inside twist you'll see it when you watch the film I don't think that they're greatly talented outside of them. Uh, I think you're right on your evaluation. I think Jones is the next best player. I think he's a a guy that is really productive, makes a lot of tackles. And then I think two young kids that I like. I think Young, the kid rookie out of Tennessee, who we liked in the draft, and then the Turner kid, they're going to help him. Um, Heck is an interesting guy um, at the Sam Backer. He plays the Sam Backer. He's kind of a combination linebacker, defensive end, who plays opposite of um, of Young, and you'll see him on the outside in that bear, um, and he'll rush. And then sometimes when they on third down, when they get in the three-man rush, then he's the fourth guy, but he's standing up inside, and he's what I always refer to as the spinner. In other words, they're three man, but he can spin anywhere and become the fourth guy And what they do is they spin him and they put Donald sometimes at the nose and they'll blitz the guard so he can't help Donald. And it's really just trying to get him going in that regard. You know, I do like their safeties. I do like Yeast. I personally didn't realize he was from Center Grove. He is a really good player, uh, you know, with Fuller in there. Uh, I like those two guys at safety. Their corners have been decent. Uh, again, you said at Witherspoon had a has a just a phenomenal interception. If you look at it on tape, it's just a great interception. Now, scheme wise, um, over a lot of over front with Donald at the three, uh, you can pound and don't be afraid to run at him and double him. But pinch, keep the splits tight because he likes to swim. The tackles for losses is because he lives in your backfield and you can't let him beat you on the first step. Like I said, if you're running away back to the bubble you got to have really tight splits on that right side so that you got to pinch him with your guard and tackle. Don't let him go. If we get late to the linebacker, we get late. Don't let him go. And then on pass protection, there always has to be protection geared towards Donald, wherever he is. He can be at the three, he can be at the nose, he can be on the edge. So, you know, that is just an absolute must. They're basically a cover four or quarters team they play all kinds of variations for spin, for sky, and then they'll go eight which is quarter strong and roll up weak. Um you know, a lot of that stuff and then on third down they'll they'll add a little bit more man to man, a little bit of cover 2 last week and then some different man to mans There are blitz and drop team. What I what I mean by that is they will blitz Jones, for instance, or Rosenblum, their Mike or their Will, and then they'll drop the ends out. So they'll give you like a normal coverage with seven guys in coverage, but they'll make it look like a blitz by bringing one of those guys inside. That's just nuisance um, to try to get you. And then they'll get into some Delta. When Delta, again, is a long yardage, three, it's a dime. Uh, Lake comes in and plays the dime. And in the Delta, there'll be 3 men line. And usually, In the delta, usually that's where Donald lines up outside. And again, that'll be 97 in there, and that's a three or four to five man rush with dime coverage behind it. That's a third down thing. And then I note that the one wrinkle I think you really got to be ready for is on third down, sometimes with their four man rush, what they'll do is they'll set an overload away from Donald and make him the edge on the weak side. And then they'll give it an overload, and you'll see that overload, and you'll want to slide the protection to the overload. But when you do that, then you're one-on-one back there with Donald. So, you know, all those things are really important to be careful with. Okay, uh, as far as the blueprint, some of it is just the flip of our offensive blueprint, and I think this is our formula period right now for this Colt team. And that's number one. The number one must on the blueprint, uh, defensive or yeah, uh, defensively, okay, offensively is we have to dominate their front with the running game. Again, the Rams defense has played pretty well. It's seven total, but they're twenty fourth in rush per. I think they're athletic. I think they're quick and fast. I really just don't think they're physical. Including Donald is more of a great athlete. Than just an anchor so I really think you can really get at them you're going to have to run to the bubble when they're in the overfront when they give you the bear you got to bring it off tackle and use some powers and Shane did he did try to vary last week with some seal blocking on the edge I really like that I saw some improvement there uh, our offensive line just has to dominate this team and when and I think you can beat them off tackle to the edge and when you get on the edge, crack the safeties. Don't let Fuller and Yeast get up there and make their corners tackle. Their corners do not think that that's in their job description to tackle. So get on their to get on their butts over there. They're not physical and they're poor perimeter tackles. So again, offensive line dominate that front seven. Number two must must have a plan for Donald. We talked about all the numbers, I don't have to repeat them. Uh, I think you need to plan both run and particularly the pass. This is where it gets into my thinking all the time. Never let the guy that you know can beat you ahead of time beat you. Have a plan for him. Make somebody else beat you. Again, know the kind of player he is. He's a swimmer, not a banger. He's a guy that will go arm over, arm, arm under, but he counts on beating you off that line of scrimmage he will trigger off that line of scrimmage on the ball and he'll try to make a move around you. So be alert for that. That's why I don't mind powering at him sometime when he puts that arm up and just stab him right in the chest. You know, I think that takes a little out of him and make sure you pinch him on the backside. On pass, I think you always have to have help to him. I would never I would never want to go one on one right there in that situation. I think that's crazy to do something like that. Always help on him. And alert that when he and Turner are really tight on third down, there's a lot of Tom game in there. And again, be careful with isolations on the edge. But number two, make sure that Donald does not beat us. Number three, on first down, you want to play action on the outside and particularly the strong side corner. They're almost always in a uh either a quarters across the board or a weak side roll the the strong side corner whether it's Witherspoon or Kendrick those guys are always undressed on the strong side so you know you want to get good play action when you do it and you want to freeze those safeties who will spin tight down in there they are run players you know they assist on the run and this is where you want to take your shots let Pierce continue. I think you got a little bit more confidence in Pierce last week. You know, he, he was there in the second level. We took a shot. We missed it, but we took a shot. You know, I think Pittman can be used not not just to isolate the great play, but I see him. He's not going to run by anybody, but he's kind of like a Cortland Sutton. You throw a couple 50-50 balls, you know, he's already proven he can get it. So hopefully one of the ancillary things we came out of last week is the fact that we can push the ball downfield to those two guys, right. but attack the strong side because they don't close the strong side, and beat them with what I call four beaters, Dinos, which is double post, scissors, which is post corner, uh, nine seven three, which is a go, a corner, and a flat, and in and, and in all go patterns where you just go after them, and then number four, when you're not working outside, work underneath. And this is where I think Downs and Granson could have a really big day. Because when you're in cover four, when you think about it, you're really only playing three underneath and quarters four behind. you know. And, with, and then when they do pressure and drop people, their drops aren't very good because you're dropping ends into hook zones. I call it drop distortions. So to me, and particularly with play action to freeze them, I think you can really – work the inside options, the inside curls, the inside seams with play action. And this is where I think we have two, you know, in Downs and Granson, I look for them to have really big games here uh, in that regard. And then number five, you know, I, I just think that we've got to think mentally we got to score points. You know, we got 22, but 15 of it, you know, we did we did kick a short one. So let's say that we got 10 on offense, but that's really – you know, I don't know that you can live and die on five field goals. To be honest with you, I think, you know, we got to think score, you know, and and how do you score? I think explosive plays, and and that's why I think we got to keep pushing it. We got to keep letting Pittman make a fifty-fifty ball. Yeah, let Pierce run under it. Eventually, he's going to beat somebody, and you're going to get over the top. You know, I think that. Uh, I I think the other thing is yak plays. You know, you know, you saw it last week. We're starting to get it. You know. Um, you know, even Moss after the catch, um, Downs after the catch. Again, this is a team that is not a good perimeter play playing team. And then I think you have got to dominate the red zone. We just got to have points, okay? You know, we just we we really do. We, you know, they're 13th against the score, uh, but they're 19th in the red zone. So they're vulnerable, and we got to take advantage of it.
0: Rick Venturi right there. That's the blueprints to beat the Los Angeles Rams in game number four for the Indianapolis Colts. And closing out here, Rick, we know the Colts sit here at 2-1 and one on a two-game winning streak, and, and maybe they get their starting quarterback back. Maybe they get their starting center back this week. We'll see how Anthony Richardson and Ryan Kelly progress, uh, progress I should say, in the concussion protocol. But looking around a little bit, right, the Jaguars, they look like a team that – You know, they're reading their press clippings right now. The Titans look like a total mess down in Tennessee. Um, You know, so long story short, I mean, last week was a great win, but it's only one win, and the Colts need to stay focused, and they need to take advantage of some, some games at Lucas Oil Stadium in the month of October because this team can be special, and they've already shown that at times here on the young season, but you have to consistently back it up, and it's another good opportunity to do that on Sunday.
1: No, that's exactly right. All of a sudden your mentality goes now from mm-hmm. hungry just to stay alive to all of a sudden now it looks a little bit different. And and I think you got to live with that. You you know, you have to there is a there is an element of living with success, you know. As you just said it and I I hit this all the time. It was a great win Sunday, but it only counts one. It it was a great win, but it only counts one and always know this, and particularly in the NFL, is last week has absolutely zero effect on this week. Now I think because of the state the Rams are in and where we're playing, I think this is a great opportunity at home. Now the Rams will be prepared. They'll be prepared both to compete and they'll be a com- and they'll be prepared x and o and o the o wise. The reality is though, this is really our game to win. This is not your father's Ram. This is not the greatest show on turf. This is not the Super Bowl Rams. This is a game that we can really, really win. You know, again, take care of Stanford. Take care of Aaron Donald. That's it. The whole is better than parts, but they're dangerous. I talked about what they have done Mm -hmm. and what they're capable of doing. You know, top ten offense, top ten defense, you know, three games against three really good teams, two on the road, and they've been really, really competitive from that standpoint. You know, I think what we got to think now is that every battle is a titanic battle. The Super Bowl, I always tell players, it's not played in February. It's played every Sunday in the National Football League to give you the opportunity to get there. So this is a titanic battle. Expect nothing less. We have to bring our A game. That is, every coach, mm-hmm. every player, every play, every broadcaster, we've got to bring our A game here. You know, we've got to rise to the occasion and take it to them. I would say coach aggressive, play aggressive, don't linger for a second and admire your success, be the hungry wolf, attack, don't look back. I think three things when it's all said and done. Don't turn it over, dominate both sides of the line again, and skill guys make plays and we'll continue to go.
0: There you go. Another installment of Inside Football with RV, the full breakdown of the Rams coming to town this weekend. L.A. coming to Lucas Oil Stadium for the second time in three years. RV, we enjoyed it immensely per usual. My man, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy that motorcycle ride that I know that's coming on Friday here in this fall weather, so get out and about if you can, and uh, we'll see you at Lucas Oil Stadium in the state capital for some football in week four, man. Can't wait.
1: I can't wait to be home here for a while. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to it. I really am.
0: Yeah, the month of October, man, it's Lucas Oil friendly. You know that after a couple of road games, so...
1: And it's all my alumni here, the Rams. Oh, lay it on me we, now. We we have the Rams, Cleveland, and the, and the New Orleans Saints here <laughs> uh, in the next five weeks. And, you know, along with the Colts, That that's I'm, I'm alumni on those teams. So I am really fired up.
0: How many times can Rick Venturi be homecoming king? We're, we're, <laughs> we're about to find out, man. It's a popularity <laughs> contest. It's rigged. That's why Rick's always coming home with the hardware, man, as always. Rick, appreciate it, man. Have a great rest of your week, all right?
1: All right, Matt, talk to you.
0: you got a Rick Venturi right there, the homecoming king himself, breaking it down per usual here on Inside Football, and that'll do it for this week's edition. All on the L.A. Rams. We'll do it again next week, breaking down the Tennessee Titans in week five when the Colts get back to AFC South play. Until then, though, keep it locked here. Keep it subscribed on the Colts Audio Network, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday on Inside Football with Rick Venturi.